0: The Two Feet In podcast is brought to you by these sponsors. I want to give a quick shout out to my friends at Dr. Dish Basketball. I've been connected with their team for the past few years, and I've used their products for a while now. Beyond their innovative and user-friendly machines, they are also tremendous people to work with, and their customer service is off the charts. It's no wonder why they've become the preferred choice among top programs around the country and even world. I'm very grateful for their support of the show make sure to check them out at drdishbasketball.com or drdishbball on social media and mention two feet in when ordering your next doctor dish to save an extra three hundred dollars off your purchase okay welcome to season two of two feet in the podcast this season we are focused on interviewing women who are inspiring and empowering other women. Two Feet in the podcast will explore ideas, give you a dose of motivation, and get you moving into action. Today is your day. Get up and get moving on your dreams with me. I am the coach, Heather Macy, and I'm ready to coach you in how to live Two Feet in. Joining Two Feet in the podcast today is coach Danielle O'Bannon, head coach at Loyola University, Maryland. She has over 20 years experience at the Division I level, as a head coach and an assistant coach, a Boston College grad and the Pat Summit Most Courageous Award in 2016. What's up, Coach Danielle?
1: Hey, good morning. Thank you.
0: Good morning. We're so glad that you're here with us and spending a little bit of time. Just tell our viewers what is up in your world and what is the first 30 days look like uh, for a Division I college basketball coach?
1: Well, uh, lots up in my world, thankfully. Uh, I am loving drinking from this fire hose in these first 30 days uh, at a new job with a great opportunity, and it really has been a blessing to have this transition going on at this time of year. As you know, in college basketball, May is kind of our month to to move a little slower, and so it's been a little um, refreshing for me to still be able to move slower while moving into a new situation. Uh, Because, as you know, once the young ladies finish their final exams, they go home to their mama and them. And then uh, we kind of get some time to to figure out some next plans for postseason workouts and summer workouts. And in this instance, for me, and staff, we're moving. Uh, We're figuring out
0: life stuff right now. Which is big stuff, you know, so. So back in the day, it was just get there, get working and all life stuff happen later on. But the older we get, not to age ourselves, coach, (laughs) but the older we get, the life stuff has got to be in order or we're not nearly as elite uh, in our decision making and our performance as a head coach.
1: There's no question. I've learned that, Heather. I I think that part of the myth of being successful is that we put ourselves and our personal stuff last. And that's simply not true. Um, And so I'm just thankful. Again, the timing of this transition has been an absolute blessing. For those reasons. And the other piece of it that has been an absolute blessing is that we've learned that we can function in a remote manner for over the last year. And so the other day, I walked, walked through uh, an apartment with my realtor uh, via FaceTime. And that's the one that I'm moving into. And so, you know, you kind of you there you have to sometimes figure out how to find the silver lining and the silver lining of this pandemic is we're realizing we don't need to be physically uh, all in the same place to get great work done. Um, And that's been a real blessing again at this time of year in this transition.
0: So you're seeing a lot of coaches during this transition say, forget it, I'm opting out because there's better way to make a living because they're (laughs) seeing that the pace in which we have gone historically at coaches within coaching. Um, it's just, it just most of the time isn't healthy pace um, and the amount of data that's coming in and decisions that are being made. Let's dive into, this is your second time as a division one head coach. Give us your, this is the way I did it that time. This is the way I'm doing it this time.
1: Two key differences. Uh, number one, at Kent State, I felt compelled to have a staff hired Mere days after my hiring announcement. And I loved every coach that I coached with at Kent state. This is not a statement directed at their performance or dedication. It's more of a statement about how first time head coaches, we feel pressure to have all the answers already. And at the end of the day, I know that I've done a better job hiring for fit at Loyola because I took 10 days to just listen and learn from the people currently in the program at Loyola before I went about completing a staff. I did have some people in mind on the front end, but now I know that I'm, I'm confident, I should say, I'm confident that we have the best possible fit for the current women of Loyola women's basketball and the future women of Loyola women's basketball, because I took that time to assess the situation, to learn the people in our program, and I didn't feel pressure to have all uh, all four of us, you know, all four of the three coaches and the director of ops. I didn't feel pressure. Didn't allow myself to succumb to the pressure this time to have everybody on board in the first two days after my hiring announcement. Um, the second thing I will say is at Kent State. And I heard this from Joanne uh, McCauley many years ago. She spoke at a coaching clinic and she's done a she's been a fantastic ambassador for our game and what she's doing right now with regards to mental health. It's just amazing. But she said, never delegate relationships. And one of the things that I did at Kent State was I delegated relationships with our strength and conditioning coach, with our academic advisor. Um, And that was was not beneficial in terms of our communication. And so I delegated those relationships through my assistant coaches, again, who did a fantastic job, but the messaging wasn't always consistent in terms of what I wanted done, because the people that I was asking uh, to deliver the message might not have understood exactly um, the words and the terminology that I would use. So instead of me communicating directly with our strength and conditioning coach, with our academic advisor, sometimes there was, there was some messaging that got lost in translation. And so I'm not doing that here at Loyola. I've told our, our strength and conditioning coach, I've told our athletic trainer, and my mind, and I sincerely believe this in college athletics, those two positions are truly the MVPs of the program. Um, because they literally, per NCAA rule, have more access to the student-athletes. Hour, you know, If you look at every week hourly, they have the most access to our student-athletes. And so they truly are to me the MVPs of the program, and so I will not moving forward delegate any communication or relationship with them because we all need to be on the same page because we're all serving the student
0: athletes. So Coach P has been on the podcast, awesome. and she, oh yeah, so she's been incredible. And one of the things that we dove into, and I, I want you to explore this, is generally speaking in leadership. The reason you got the position you got is because there's something about you that can't be hired to the left and the right person. So you're going, can't delegate the relationship. And I would even go deeper into, let's just say we're a CEO. It doesn't have to be a head coach. It can be a CEO. Sometimes it's mom, whatever that leadership title is and understanding what you uniquely do. So for me, I'm a pretty good recruiter. But the problem is, is when I became the head coach, what did we learn early on? The assistants do the recruiting, Danny, right? The assistants handle that stuff. Well, ultimately, recruiting is the relationship. And the recruiting is the ability to have the relationship with the kid, to coach them hard, and to challenge them, and to make decisions like that in the middle of the game. So take it like you're the CEO, and you have these skill sets. Talk to our listeners about other things that you... You're good at them. Maybe you're not so good at them, but they can be non-negotiables.
1: Well, I know for sure that move from the assistant to the head coaching chair. Um, when you look at the coaching bench, you know, they say it's a difference of like six inches. Right. Uh, but that move from the assistant coach's office, to the head coach's office at the end of the hall all of a sudden changes everyone's approach. Even when you don't want it to, to your point. I mean, you, you made your career as a great recruiter and then when you became a head coach, you couldn't just be a specialist anymore. And I think sometimes, I think one of the things that I've observed in our business and one of the things that I've learned about myself, I do enjoy recruiting. I also take seriously my responsibility to hold everybody accountable, starting with myself. And so if I know that about myself, if I'm a culture warrior, like there are some non-negotiables that just will not happen on my watch, I also need to make sure that I have assistant coaches around that understand that about me and that can interpret that in my decision making to our players and people around our program. I think I did a good job at Kent State of holding our players to account. I did not do a good job at Kent State of letting them know and understand where that was coming from. Um, And so, you know, that's another way that I know that I've gotten better since then, just making sure that I'm communicating consistently, that everyone is clear about our core values and standards, so that when we have to make those difficult decisions and and really stand for those non-negotiables, that folks understand it's coming from a place of care and commitment to
0: our ultimate success. Okay two feet in the hot seat. Here we go. You were at your all-time favorite hotel. You go to get into the elevator. You hit the button to the 34th floor. Right as the elevator is about to close, the person gets on. And that person needs you, coach. And less than the ride up to the 34th floor, tell about your life story and give them the message that they need for that day.
1: Oh man, 34 floors. We need more floors, coach. <laughs>
0: But- well, you should stay in the penthouse. OK, so we are going to the ride to the penthouse, Coach.
1: <laughs> so on that ride, I would tell that person uh, that I am the least likely person to be going to the penthouse. And I'm thankful for that. And that I am a an adopted um, young lady who was adopted by wonderful parents, neither of which graduated from high school, but always encouraged me to do better than they. And so I am a product of great selfless parents who always just said yes to whatever I wanted to participate in. And I then benefited from tremendous coaches and teachers, which is why I try always to give back to the game of basketball and to serve others. Because I'm here because other people served me and saw some potential in me and reached out and did things for me that I didn't even realize were possible. So if it can happen for me. Uh, because other people poured into me and I'm pouring into others. It can happen for anybody.
0: Oh, I love that. Okay. So your greatest faith over fear moment.
1: You know, the softball answer to this question is the cancer uh, treatment, right? Um, So we were in year three of a four-year contract at Kent State. Um, I went in for an annual exam. I was feeling great. And all of a sudden it's October and I'm told that I have cancer. And I am irritated by this because I don't have time for this. So I said to my doctor, I said, well, initially it was an annual exam and he wanted a follow up. And I said to him, I said, well, if you can get me in between October, literally October 11th and October 14th for this follow up procedure, we'll go for it. If not, it'll have to wait. And so um, his scheduling nurse calls me back and says, we can get you in on October 12th. And I was irritated because it was very inconvenient. But the faith over fear moment was this idea that if it was up to me, I would have postponed this procedure that actually revealed that I had cancer. And so um, and I just been kind of, you know, God had been speaking to me about taking care of myself so I could be at my best for our players and for my family. And so I tried to pigeonhole God. I tried to give them a small window like if you're going to do it, you got to do it right here. Uh, And then it it moved that way. It moved that way. And then to have the opportunity to decide whether I was going to attempt to coach or not through treatment, um, that was a step of faith. I felt that God chose me to tell that story. And as long as he was going to let me coach, I was going to. And so the, the faith over fear decision was to ask my athletic director for his support. That I would coach as long as I could. I had to have you know one of my assistant coaches ready um, in the event that I was not available. But um, I praise God. I praise God for that opportunity to truly walk the walk for our student athletes and our community. And the basketball is the best medicine. But you know the the smart part of my brain said you know you should probably focus solely on treatment and solely on your health. But there was something tugging at me that said I needed to I needed to do this publicly as long as I could serve our team without compromise. And it worked out that way.
0: Yeah. And it was very courageous and your battle. And I think it inspired all of us, but also a wake up call for coaches. Like we've got to take care of ourselves. And I empathize with what you just said, because I'm a little bit of the same way. Like, listen, I've got this window and that window and it needs to, we need to have this procedure here and it can't inconvenience my focus for a game. How yeah. ridiculous is that thought? Well, but it so, yeah, it so, was
1: normal. Yeah. And that's the same thing that we were talking about earlier in this conversation. Right. You know, oftentimes we put off the life stuff until until it's too late. Honestly, you know, when you talk about er earlier in our careers, I mean, we're both just just over 30. Thank God. But, um, you know, earlier in our careers, uh, you would have I would have not moved until maybe the end of summer. Mm-hmm. And I just would have been out over here spinning my wheels, hotel, staying with friends and family because the job, the job, the job. Just the same thing with this health situation. If you, I mean, I honestly, if it was up to me, I probably would have gotten very sick because I, I, I was desperately trying to postpone this procedure uh, because it was inconvenient because I needed to plan practice, coach.
0: I mean that that's wild. It's not what happens to us. It's what happens for us. And I will tell you this. um, It's been now 18 months ago or something. And on January 17th, I had a procedure and I've not talked about it publicly, but it was in the middle of, you know, we had these three days where we weren't playing. I was coaching at the junior college at the time. There is no way if I was a division one coach that I would have had a procedure on January 17th. And I had it, it worked itself out. We moved forward from it, but the ability to know, I do believe there's no question in my mind that the timing of how all of that occurred is it is something that happened for me, not happened to me. And there's great peace in knowing that. I haven't talked about that very much publicly. So thank you for allowing me to bring that out and share a little bit of that today.
1: Absolutely, praise God, I'm glad you're good.
0: Yes, absolutely. All right, Danny, let's go into this. Old self, new self. Can you give us your best, now this is storytelling time, okay? So don't put us to sleep, but best story, old self, new self. My goodness. Old
1: self, it was black or white. You were right or wrong, you were in or you were out. And old self didn't negotiate. And so we had a player, at Kent State who had a boyfriend and he played at another school. He was playing at a school, maybe 30, 35 minutes from our campus. This was a great opportunity for her to go see him play. So, and she rarely got to see him. And she, at this point, was a, she was a junior for us. And, and so, you know, in my opinion, if your juniors and seniors haven't earned the uh, respect of your program to have some exceptions, then, then we're all doing something wrong. So in any case, she asked me if she can go, um, to the football game on a Saturday afternoon. And I had practice scheduled during that time. And I, it was black or white. I can remember saying to our coaches, you know, she, she's not as locked in as I thought if she really is asking me to move practice for our team so she can go to this football game. And I remember our coaches saying, are you, you know, are you sure you you want to make that type of conclusion? And I was like, hey, we're all in. You guys don't ask me to move it. I don't ask you. I don't ask them to move it. And in hindsight, Heather, it really wasn't that big of a deal. It really wasn't. It was, it was a tremendous opportunity for her to support her boyfriend. Um, and she never really got to see him play because they were at two different schools. And really, you know... Was it fair for me to think she wasn't locked in because she wanted to go see him play football? It wasn't. It wasn't. So, you know, the the, the old me or the young me thinking that it was a black or white issue, that wasn't it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that, that I think I missed the mark on that decision in terms of not moving practice. I, I think I missed the mark on that one. And it really wasn't a, a statement on whether or not she was invested in Kent State basketball. It really, it really had nothing to do with that. Um, new me, I can say now that I tell our players and our coaches, and I, in general, I tell people that I care about them more. I think life has taught me that that's important. Uh, the fact that I know that I don't, I can't assume that I would be here. Um, at this juncture, so I do tell our, our players I care about them and I, and I miss them. But I also tell them if they ever repeat that, I'll say I never heard of them. Um, <laughs> but I just try to, I just try to be better about being more expressive with our players in particular because what we're asking them to do, especially this last season through this pandemic year, you know they they need they need to know that we care about them. And the way that I show that I care about them is through consistency. My college coach Kathy Ingleese was a fantastic model of consistency. She didn't ever tell us, you know, she loved us, but she worked her tailpipe off for us, and we were prepped all the way up for every practice, every game. There was never a situation that we hadn't seen before in practice, and that was her love language, right, her prep. Uh, her consistency and accountability. And so a lot of those same traits, you know, are some things that I convey or try to, to our student athletes. But these, these young people, especially given what we've all been through in the last calendar year, they need to hear us say we love them and that we value them and that we respect them. And they need to hear those words. They don't just necessarily need to see me, you know, watching hours of film because that's how I really show them that I love them and I'm invested. They need to hear the words. Uh, and they need a hug from time to time. So so now the current me, um, the older, wiser me, um more expressive in that way.
0: OK, I love that. OK, it is time to jump on the two feet in quick style questions. Lock in and let's go. Let's do some rapid fire. Give us your best quotable. How you do anything is how you do everything. You better believe that. OK, book recommendation of the decade.
1: Oh, of the decade. I wasn't ready for the decade uh how to win and influence people um it's a classic
0: podcast or video that will expand our listeners thinking
1: um i would recommend listening to any episode of the program um llc it's the program that does uh, team building and leadership training um they do a fantastic job and talk about timely uh topics in leadership team building you know selecting leaders Accountability, it's a fantastic listen.
0: Okay, give us your key to habit
1: stacking or creating a routine that works. This is a this is a good one for me, Heather, because I started running about a year ago. And I can tell you sincerely that running was never on my top five favorite things list, like ever. Uh, but I started running because all the gyms were closed and I wanted to be outside safe away, you know, safely away from people. So I just challenged myself to run two miles a few times a week. Um, But I needed to do it without two consecutive days off. So if that makes sense. So I just made sure that if I ran Monday and Tuesday and I took Wednesday, that I didn't also take Thursday off. So stacking habits for me meant trying to make sure that I just set uh, a goal of not missing two days in a row. And then I did try to start a streak. How many days in a row you know, will I, will I get to run? Um, and then eventually it became something that was part of my daily. As I started to feel better, I gained more confidence, but not missing back-to-back days to me um, of this habit that you're trying to establish, not missing back-to-back days or back-to-back opportunities, that's big.
0: You get one phone call to whom and why?
1: Uh, I would actually call my birth mother and thank her for her decision because that was not an easy decision. I think um, the easier decision or the quicker solution would have would have been terminating the pregnancy and I, I just would like to thank her. And honestly, I'd like to hear her laugh um, because people say that I have a unique laugh. And so I wanna know uh, if, if, the, if that's her or if that was my dad.
0: I love that. Okay. Give our listeners your final thoughts or takeaway.
1: Final thoughts. Um, I just am constantly amazed by how often I talk with young people and they're disappointed that the person they love the most didn't believe in them. And oftentimes it has nothing to do with that person and how they feel about you. It has everything to do with that person and how they feel about them. And so I just would, the final takeaway is there will be that time where you get surprised by someone that you care about and that you thought cared about you, but don't take that as a, as a statement uh, about how they feel about you. Let that be their thing and let, and let your goal and your mission keep propelling you forward, but just be ready for that moment, but then also don't let that be um, this personal attack. It has less to do with you and more to do with them and some fears that they're facing or that they faced in their past.
0: Thanks to our guest and friend, Coach Danielle Bannon for being part of the Two Feet In experience. Visit the show notes to learn more about Coach and to reach her directly. That's been Coach Danielle O'Bannon on Season 2 of Two Feet In, the podcast, where inspiring women are focused on empowering other women. A big thanks to all of our guests and our sponsors for breaking down ideas, giving us a strong mo- dose of motivation, and helping us learn to live Two Feet In. Thank you, Coach. Thank you. The Two Feet In podcast is brought to you by these sponsors. Have questions about recruiting for your high school or college athlete? Kathy Reeves of PD Sports Recruiting has your answers. Give Kathy a call at 404-662-7816
1: now.